Welcome to Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. I'm your host, Damali Peterman. On this podcast, we introduce our new season's theme, Resilience. And I, along with the guest co-host, will share how we remain resilient amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. We want to inspire our listeners to continue to break through. Welcome to the show. In this episode of Breakthrough Bears with Tamale, we're over the moon to have guest host Dr. Melanie Shorter-Jones, who is a family medicine physician in Georgia. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. Dr. Melanie Jones is a family medicine physician and has been serving the middle Georgia area for over 15 years. She has served as a physician speaker for Pfizer Pharmaceuticals and Novartis Pharmaceuticals. Additionally, she has been a clinical preceptor for the Mercer School of Medicine, Morehouse School of Medicine, and the Philadelphia College of Medicine. She's a graduate of Albany State University undergrad and the University of Tennessee College of Medicine. Her residency training was completed at the Tallahassee Memorial Family Medicine Program. She's married to Mr. Jaris Jones and has two children, Melania and Jaden. Wow, Melanie, so many. May I call you Melanie? Would you prefer Dr. Dr. Jones? Okay. Well, what an amazing resume. You are an amazing physician, a speaker, and you also managed to have a family as well. And so you have a lot going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Things never stop. (laughs) Well, we're delighted to have you here today. And I, I always like to tell listeners how I met my guests. Well, We are fortunate to have two connections. First, Melanie and I are both sorority sisters. We are both members of the one and only Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And we're also related by marriage. Um, My husband's father and Melanie, Dr. Shorter Jones's mother, are siblings. So I've had the pleasure of knowing Melanie for over 15 years. And every time we, we chat, it's like, two sisters catching up. And so I'm so delighted for you to kind of eavesdrop on our conversation today. Well, I am so honored to be here and I really appreciate the opportunity. I think things like this are just wonderful and they're fun and they're informative. Yeah. And you know what? It's really important for people to share their stories so that we can continue to inspire everyone. And, and, and that's why I'm looking forward to our conversation today. We're going to focus on the theme of resilience as it relates to conflict and how you, your company, and your industry navigated the last 18 months. The goal is to encourage and inspire our listeners to continue to break through. So let's, let's chat a little bit. Melanie, what do you want people to know about you? Describe yourself in six words. Oh, six words, six words. I am definitely a physician. I am an educator. I'm a community servant. I'm a a wife. I'm a mother. And probably most importantly, I'm I'm a child of God. Oh, I love that. So tell us a little bit more. I mean, those are some excellent words that you chose from from being a physician to a wife, a mother, to a child of God, a community servant. I mean, this all shows like your, your selflessness and how much you care about not only your family, you know, your, your spirituality, but also giving back. So tell us, how did you get here? Uh, why are you in this field? 
think medicine is really a, a field that never, it, 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 it evolves and it changes from day to day, from month to month and year to year. Um, initially, I didn't even want to be a physician. I wanted to be an architect. Then I wanted to be a mathematician, whatever that meant at that time in my life. I wanted to even be a dentist. But as I grew and I started thinking about my life and what I could do for the community, for my family, for just those that I know, I really, really wanted to positively affect the health and well-being of, of my community. Born and raised in Georgia and the southern states have typically traditionally had a lot of issues, especially with minorities in terms of health disparities. Um, I also wanted to show younger women and girls that if you set your mind to accomplish something, you can do it. We don't have to be limited. We don't have to be made to shrink or feel small. We have to persevere. We have to really feel like there's something that we're passionate and excited about. We've just got to press forward and try to get it. I love that. And it's so inspiring to to young girls, to women, and to anyone listening, because just hearing you say that you didn't always want to be a doctor, uh, and some of the fields that you considered, architecture, math, I mean, these are still like, you know, fields where I, I, I tend to think that there isn't a significant amount of representation from, from women and people of color. And I love how you said you're born and raised in Georgia and you are, you know, you notice that there were some disparities and, you know, health, I'm going to say inequities, which allowed you to go off to medical school and come back to the state where you grew up to help people throughout middle Georgia who need you the most. And so I have had the pleasure of talking to you a few times over the course of the last 18 months. And I know that not just for you, but for all medical professionals, the last 18 months probably have been the most challenging of your career. And so I would love to hear from you what your single biggest challenge in running your business or working in this industry was throughout the pandemic. For me personally, the um, issue of trying to balance my personal life with that of providing quality health care for my patients. And by that, I mean, in a pandemic, of course, we're exposed to everything as a frontline healthcare worker. We don't know what's coming into our office. We don't know who we're going to come into contact with. We don't know what they have. And at this point, you, you start to feel um, afraid. To be perfectly honest, uh, you feel vulnerable. You you want to help the person, but at the same time, you're thinking, well, if, if I give too much of myself and I put too much into this, is my family going to suffer? Am I going to expose my family to COVID-19? So in the initial months of the pandemic, I would come home in my scrubs. I stopped even wearing professional clothes like I have worn for my entire career. I, I purchased scrubs and I started wearing those because I didn't want to bring anything home, even on my clothes. And I would come in my garage and change my clothes before I came in the house. I would go shower. You know, I, I, I didn't want my kids or my husband to even come near me initially. But then as I go back to work the next day, I couldn't be afraid to touch my patient and interact and speak. I mean, you cannot take care of a patient without putting your hands on them or, you know, being in close enough contact to have a conversation or all of those sorts of things where you are exposed. So finding that balance of being a quality healthcare provider 
along with still giving my family what they need and not isolating myself from them, that was the biggest challenge for me personally. But I think in the bigger picture for healthcare providers in general, it was the uncertainty of what what are we dealing with? Is this something that's going to end in three months? Is this something that's going to end in three years? And I don't think any of us knew March of 2020 that COVID would still be a thing in October of 2021. Well, it's such a balancing act, you know, just I, I like how you divide it in, into the personal impact and also the professional impact. And I think what you describe with respect to balancing your responsibilities, both, you know, within the home and outside of the home is something that will resonate with a lot of people because no one saw COVID-19 coming. It wasn't like you could kind of prepare for it, like you prepare for a marathon and exercise and change your diet and do all those things so you can, you know, put your best foot forward. This is something that kind of descended upon us. And overnight, we learned words like essential, non-essential, social distancing. I mean, like what? That That just came from out of nowhere. And then, I mean, to your point, everyone had to like navigate this new normal where, you know, I can just, when you were describing, I can just totally see, you know, you and your scrubs changing, making sure you didn't drop anything or do anything that would expose your family. And then also when you're in your office, trying to be the best practitioner for your patients to show up for them to not show fear, right? You can't, because essentially that's part of it, right? You don't want to show any fear. And every day, new information is coming out. Every day, everyone's sort of figuring out, okay, so do I wash my everything that comes to my house? Do I not bring mail into the home? Like all these things are happening. And at the same time, the profession as a whole, your profession, frontline worker, medical professionals, um, the entire medical industry was stressed to a point that, I mean, that I, I don't think I've ever seen in, in the years that I've been alive. From what I can gather, we no one has seen anything quite like this that impacted the global economy, the global infrastructure where flights were canceled and suspended. There's still countries to this day in October that are not allowed into the U.S. or, or certain people aren't allowed into their countries because of coronavirus restrictions. And so I'm happy that you're sharing your these challenges and, and sort of from these two kind of personal and professional perspectives, because I think it's very easy to kind of just lump everything together and say, it was a hard year. <laughs> it was a tough year. But you are still standing like that Elton John song. And so I would love to hear from you where your resilience comes from and how do you tap into it? Well, since you know my mother and you did not know my grandmother well, which happens to be your husband's aunt and grandmother. I think those two women for me have been the biggest inspiration. And of course, I know a slight to my dad, and he knows I love him dearly. I'm daddy's girl. But when you're a girl and you're a woman, you really, you look up to your mom and your grandmother. My, my mom was one of the first African-American administrators in, in her area of Southwest Georgia. She blazed her own trail. My grandmother, as you well know, um, where can I even begin with her? 
someone who initially did not have her college degree when she was married and, and had my mom and, and your father-in-law, but managed to go to college for many summers to get her undergraduate degree in a time where women of color just were not expected to do that. And then to raise my mom and my uncle, and here they are at retirement age. And now we have three grandchildren of which I'm one, a medical doctor, your husband, who is an attorney, and your sister-in-law, who has a PhD and was a Rhodes Scholar. How can you top that? I mean, I can't top things that my mom and my grandmom have done, but they lived in a time that things were a lot more difficult. So I don't have a reason to say I can't. (laughs) I don't have a reason to give up when the times are different, the resources are greater, the opportunities are bigger. There's absolutely no excuse that I have for not being able to withstand anything. Um, That's so deep that the resilience comes from the matriarchs in your family and just recognizing that they, your mother and your grandmother were able to accomplish things at a time when it was even harder to do so. And now you have accomplished some incredible things. I mean, you are very well respected and highly regarded physician. And, you know, I know that you've been working on some other interesting projects, um, research and, and hopefully a book that we'll all get to read at some point. I'm just going to drop that out there for the world to anticipate and look forward to. And, you know, just to take this a, a step, you know, step further, you have a daughter. And so right. she's going to get that collective wisdom, that collective resilience, um, multi-generational resilience as well. And of course, so will your son. But I do like, you know, that you're thinking about and that you told me earlier that you've focused a lot on being that role model um, for women and, and girls. And so you know, being a role model, um, there are a lot of things that happen. Most people see the glamorous part of it, right? They see all the, the, the opportunities. They see the social media posts. They see, you know, the news articles and the like. But people don't often see what happens behind the scenes. Um, they don't really know about the vulnerabilities that people may have experienced as they're growing and building in, in their careers. And so I would love to hear if there is any mistake that you made that you want to prevent others from making. Definitely as a woman of color in medicine, you have to never underestimate your worth. There are times when nobody says anything in, in particular that may make you feel unworthy. There's imposter syndrome we talk about a lot in terms of, should I be here? Am, am I worthy? Should, should I be in this space with these people at this time? We have to remember that things that we want to say, that we want to convey to others, there's a place for that. And we should never underestimate the worthiness of what we have to say and what we have to contribute. There was a time, uh, particularly in medical school um, and in my internship and residency, where there were, there were uh, situations where I felt like it's best if I just don't say anything. I just need to, to melt into the, the background. I just need to mesh in and don't stand out, don't ask, don't, don't make a comment. And the culture, particularly in medicine, is it's a male-dominated industry, but it's slowly becoming uh, filled with more and more women. And of course, it was typically majority uh, white males. 
now you see all kinds in medicine. You see all ethnicities, you see all religions, you see all ages. I mean, I started practicing when I was 29. And oftentimes I was mistaken for not a physician and definitely not somebody who I was needing to be unsupervised. They would say, where's your, um, where, where, where's your supervisor? Are, are you a student? Are you a resident? And you don't know how to take that. So you don't want to come across as uh, super aggressive, but you have to know that what, what you have to say is important. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the loudest person in the room, but you have to feel like you are important and you are worthy and you don't have to be small to make somebody else feel large. Oh, I love that. You are worthy, you are important, and you don't have to feel small to make someone else feel large. And you said to use your voice, that one of the mistakes that you made was, you know, sort of shrinking and kind of trying to blend in because there were so many other things that made you stand out. And so it's imperative that people use their voice, uh, use their voices to kind of share what they feel. And you know, Melanie, um, imposter syndrome is real, right? I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who didn't question whether they were supposed to be where they were. And I think that's part of growth, right? So growing uh, maturity and kind of also just kind of thinking about, I, th I guess it goes back to your, your point about worthiness and recognizing that you're worthy to be in the room and occupy the space and not only believing it, but projecting it and making sure that everyone else knows that you're, you are supposed to be. And I've heard that a few times, by the way. I've heard uh, doctors of color say that they people didn't think they were the doctor or even on their deathbed, especially recently during COVID, I've heard some doctors here in New York say, uh, folks have said, I don't want you to, to work with me. I, I want someone else. Even if they didn't have any choices, they were still sort of that stuck in their ways, their perspectives that they didn't want to have a, a doctor of color uh, attend to them. Um, and it's like, it's like that. It, it, it is like that. And we've encountered that even um, very recently, not in that particular situation, but um, where, We've had to deal with patients who didn't want to wear masks, who didn't want to respect, you know, our space as providers. And not so much that we thought they had, you know, COVID, but if we're in a situation where we're in a, in a building with a lot of other sick patients, you should want to protect us as well. And we've had situations where patients, you know, decided they didn't want to come anymore because they didn't want to wear a mask. They didn't want to be distant. And um, my office, of course, is, is predominantly African-American. The other physician is African-American, nurse practitioner is as well. And, you know, you don't always know is that the root of the problem. But sometimes when you feel disrespected, you, you think, oh, man, is this, is this because of my color? Is this because of my race? I, I don't know. You don't want to think that in every situation. But it's definitely, um, it's definitely an issue. Definitely is an issue. Yeah, and you know, just hearing you say that, you know, the office is predominantly African American, I, I think it's a normal question to wonder. Uh, there's certain things that you can change, right? You can learn more. Like you said, that you love that medicine, you love how medicine continues to evolve, right? You can learn more, you can learn new fields, you can specialize in new things. But there's some things that you cannot change. You cannot change the way you look, 
right? And so every day in this world, we show up the way we show up. And it's always funny when I'm sitting in a room where the conversation's focusing on what it means to be a woman, where gender is at the central, is the central point of the conversation. And I never know how to disconnect being a woman from being black. Like every day I wake up as a black woman. And so my experience is going to be shaped by that. So what you're saying really sits with me because I, 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 I experience that too. And I feel that sometimes as well. And it could not be the case. And, you know, part of, you know, my training as a conflict resolution expert is, you know, thinking about implicit biases and how they may show up in, in your office and your practice, right? And in many places. So, but what do you do? I mean, for, for you, especially over the past 18 months, especially in the state of Georgia where, you know, they, I don't think they're mass mandates that are handed down by the state government, um, like a few other states um, in the South. And every day, you know, you will have to go into the office and take care of patients and educate people on their health, not just with, with respect to COVID, but for everything that was going on in the world prior to COVID, <laughs> right? So how do you manage it? Gosh, there's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of meditation. There's a lot of mind, body awareness, trying to um, put my mind put my soul and my spirit in a place where I am blocking out those other things, the, the politics of medicine, the uh, disparities that occur in medicine, just trying to get to the root of I'm the provider. This is my patient. We've got to get this person better. And it becomes a little challenging to block all those things out because they're always there. <laughs> the politics are always there especially in medicine, we're seeing that at, a, at an all-time high right now. The disparities, as I, as I mentioned, and not just for, for race, but also for socioeconomic status, also for gender. It's on so many levels until trying to close that gap, it's hard. It's, it's something that you have to pay attention to at all times. And trying to encourage the patient and knowing that the outcome of this is that person getting better. And health is just not something that stands alone. Your, your health is directly tied to your wealth. People who are not healthy won't become wealthy because they'll spend all their money trying to get healthy or they won't go to work because they're unhealthy. And until a person's health is stable, they won't ever achieve the wealth that they want to achieve. So trying to show people that this is not just about you taking your blood pressure medication or you eating better food. If you want your children to have a legacy, you've got to be well because you have to take care of them and get them to a certain point where they can fly on their own. You have to be well enough to earn a paycheck <laughs> or to establish money where you've, you've saved and you've invested. But if out of every week of working, you spend two days ill, you're never going to overcome that economic barrier. So it's so closely tied in, but trying to just to show and to educate people to know that it's, it's not just in this little box. Your health is not just here. It affects everything. Even your interpersonal relationships with your, with your children, with your spouse, a spouse who has to care for um, a sickly spouse 
particularly somebody that's young, 30s, 40s, 50s, that does something to their relationship. It changes how that spouse's family or how his life or her life is for the children as well. A sickly parent shapes and molds them moving forward. So it's such a, it has so much of a ripple effect. And I just have to remember that that's what we're trying to do is to help these people's lives improve. I love that keeping your eyes on the prize and remember that it's about ensuring that your patients are healthy. And I really love this statement that health is wealth. Um, It's a great way for people to think about prioritizing, taking care of themselves, not only for, you know, their own well-being and happiness, but for, I love how you said it, the legacy of their children, right? And how caregiving responsibilities for a person who is unwell can have many different types of impact on those around them, especially uh, with those with whom they have, you know, close relationships with. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm going to put you on a spot here and ask you just to give us a couple of tips, different ways that we can be more healthy and intentional. And you already said a couple, so maybe those are the main ones, but you already said eating. So thinking about making healthy choices with respect to what you eat. And, and are there a couple more tips? I mean, we don't always have an amazing doctor of your status here. So it's, it's our chance to get some some insight from you. So as, as you said, definitely your diet, you know, diet is everything. It's, it's the one thing that we do all day, every day we eat. And if you put in junk, unfortunately, <laughs> the product is junk. <laughs> so we have to be very mindful of our, our ratio of good to bad food. It's pretty simple. You know, what you put in is what you get out. Um, one thing that people don't really realize is sleep as a major impact on your health. Nobody seems to sleep enough and nobody seems to sleep deeply enough or get enough uh, recharging. It's like your cell phone. If you leave the cell phone uncharged all night, what's going to happen in the morning? That battery's low. It's not going to perform as well. It won't make it throughout the day. So your body's the same way. Sleeping and sleeping deeply, reaching that REM sleep is hugely important for the ability to not only function the next day, but function in a manner that's productive and and has some quality to it. Movement and exercise. Uh, I just got an Apple Watch for my birthday. I know I'm behind the times, but I thought, oh, I move all day. I stand all day and Apple Watch says otherwise. So (laughs) it's worth an investment to know how much you move, how much you stand and how much you exercise. It's a lot less than you think. So (laughs) that's the third one. So we've spoken about diet. We've spoken about exercise, we've spoken about sleeping. So those three things are hugely important. And then I think the fourth one is a more um, time to just to meditate and time to uh, rejuvenate, to put a pause on things. And, And in our lives, we just go, 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 especially working moms. There seems to never be enough time to just do nothing. And by doing nothing does not mean um, cleaning up the house or washing clothes. It means unplugging, just go sitting on your porch, going to the lake and just looking at the water, thinking about nothing important, but just zoning out and shutting down. Like your mind, your body, your spirit just needs a moment to do nothing and rejuvenate, recharge. So that when you're back in your zone, you can be the person you need to be. 
See, if you never shut down, you're never any good for anybody else. And we all know, you know, if mom's not happy, the house is not happy. We've got to do it. I love that. It's like, put your oxygen mask on first before, <laughs> before you help others, you know, when they're deployed on the plane. And what's really key, I think, to the four tips that you provided um, you know, with respect to diet, exercise, sleep, and I'm going to say, you know, self-care is that these are all things within your control, meaning that you don't need someone else to, you know, to, to do these things for you. These are things that you can say, I'm going to do this for me. I'm going to be intentional about what I put into my body. I'm going to be intentional about, you know, trying to get more sleep or exercising. And I love that you mentioned the Apple Watch. Um, it does track your steps. You can also get an you know, Apple Watch, a Fitbit, whatever it is that you want to also track your sleep because you mentioned getting good sleep and REM sleep. And it'll tell you like how much time you spend in the REM sleep. Because if you get you know six hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep, but you didn't get into that REM sleep, that restorative sleep, then you still may feel really tired. And one of the things that I love about well, what you said is just, and I think it's just empowering people to take charge of what's happening in their lives because it does have a ripple effect, right? Um, sometimes if you're tired, then certain things that happen could feel differently, meaning you may be you know, more upset about something that you wouldn't have otherwise been about if you had enough sleep. Everyone jokes about the term hangry, right? How people act angry when they're hungry, but there's something scientific to that, right? If you're low blood sugar or, you know, like I'm, I'm not the doctor on this podcast, but the point is like all these things are related, right? They are most definitely. It's a, it's a, a ripple effect for your entire family, for your coworkers, everyone feels it. And if you don't take care of yourself, it just does not bode well for those around. <laughs> if, uh, it sounds like you're saying, if you don't take care of yourself, someone's going to have to take care of you. Right. <laughs> well, just to, to wrap up, I mean, you've taught us so much. I don't know if there's if there's anything else you want to share, but my mom, um, who you know, used to always say to me, each one teach one. And so I'd love for you to suggest a book or a song, a course or program. And of course, you've given us kind of a roadmap of things we can do for our bodies and minds. But just if there's anything else you want to share uh, with our listeners, please, the floor is yours. One interesting thing that I did do over COVID, um, I don't know if you've heard of the Masterclass series. Yeah. So I purchased it for my son because he loves basketball. And he said, I'm going to watch Stephen Curry and then I'm going to go to the NBA when I'm 21. And so if I watch this Masterclass, I'll be awesome. Well, my daughter said, well, what about me? Well, Misty Copeland had her dance class and I purchased that for her. So in the meantime, my husband's thinking, do you love the kids more than you love me? <laughs> I am thinking, okay, I'll get you Gordon Ramsay because he, he thinks he's uh, a chef at this point. And I did this in the reverse and I thought about myself last, but I bought myself too. Elaine Welteroff. Uh, she's awesome. And I, I'm only about halfway through hers, but the one that I did complete already was uh, Sarah Blakely, uh, CEO of Spanx and finding your purpose and just listening to her story of how she went from, you know, nothing to like this billion dollar company, you think 
is this possible? Somebody actually did this. And when she tells you how she just pretty much uh, wore down these people with her product and she would go from <laughs> New York to California and back and forth and just put, put her things out there. And before you know it, she, she's like at the top of her game. And when you listen to people speak like that, who come from just regular, ordinary beginnings, you feel like, oh, I'm able to do that as well. I, I have exactly what she has. And I'm not going to underestimate myself because she can do what I can do it. So that masterclass series was awesome for me. And um, one other thing I did was read this book, um, Blue Ocean Strategy by uh, Chan Kim. And he seems to um, put things in a situation where instead of you competing in the current market, you should create your own market, like what you do. You didn't compete with anybody else. You said, I'm going to do something totally in my own lane. So I'm the only one. I'm not competing with everyone else. And instead of beating the competition, make the competition irrelevant. You're going to win. You're always going to win. And just employing those strategies as I move forward. And now that medicine has changed even more since the pandemic with there being more virtual options, you know, it makes me realize that there's a lot more to do and a lot more things that we can accomplish in, in our field to reach those people who were unreachable at one point, who may not come to see me in the office, but, you know, staying hopeful and knowing that in this new era, there are some things that we have profited, knowing that we can do things virtually if we have to, we can reach the people who were unreachable initially, and that we do have hope to see some things change in the future. That's great. So masterclass is something that's for everyone from children to spouses to, to, to anyone listening today. And then also just thinking about this book, uh, was it Blue Ocean Strategies? Ocean Strategy. You want to be the blue, blue ocean, ocean, not the red ocean. Oh, you want to be the blue ocean and not the red ocean. If you decide that you want to be something different, I might have it backwards. It might be red ocean and you don't want to be blue ocean. <laughs> but the, the point is that you don't, you don't have to join a saturated market to become exactly. more competition. You can create your own lane, create your own space and be the number one of that, you know, category. And I think that resonates and will resonate with our listeners because sometimes I feel like people feel this pressure to sort of, you know, kind of do what's already been done because you ask children when they're young, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, how can they know exactly what they want to be? And, you know, they haven't been exposed to everything yet. And there's things being created that didn't exist yet. Right. Um, and when I think about category leaders, I think about people who are innovating, right. Creating new things. And so I love this blue ocean strategy and masterclass because these are both suggestions on how to learn more, how to expand, and how to be bold, right? And you have given us a lot of great tips and information for being resilient, for being selfless, because what you do, Dr. Shorter Jones, is you are selfless every day. Every day you go into your office and you help people and you prioritize their health needs. And I think that's incredible. So thank you for what you do and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed chatting with you. We have to do this sometime off camera as well. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I mean, I, you know, we can talk all day. I, I feel like every time that we have a, a conversation, there are just so many, I'm inspired and there are just so many things that I walk away with. It's like, it's such a rich dialogue that I'm always looking forward to. 
And I'm excited to share you with our global listeners. And I, I'm hopeful that they will pick some things from this conversation that will help them sort of navigate what they're you know, experiencing. So audience, thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Damali Peterman, and this is Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. Continue to break through and have a wonderful day. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Breakthrough ADR. That's the at sign, B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H, capital A, capital D, capital R. I'm your host, Damali Peterman, and this is Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. Although I am a lawyer, mediator, and an educator, and many of my co-hosts will represent various professions, we want to be clear that we are not providing legal advice, counseling, or suggestions. Our goal is to provide a roadmap for conflict resolution to generate future conflict resolvers. Continue to break through and have a wonderful day.